0: Um, Before I begin, let's pray together. Lord, you have searched me, and you know everything about me. Father, thank you that even though that may be a scary thought, Lord, it is reassuring that we are never hidden from your sight, that you love us deeply and dearly. And I pray this morning that each one of us would know something about the God who cares for us, the God who loves us, who knows us. And Lord, you'd reveal more of who you are to us today. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. I don't know if you've ever had the... Um, or you've been sat on the tube or in a cafe and, and and maybe you've been with someone else, but suddenly you catch an ear of someone else's conversation. And it's absolutely more interesting than your own. So you, you pretend that you're talking to the person next to you, but actually you're listening... To them. I, has anyone else done that? Yeah, okay, good. It's not just me that's nosy. Um, and I was sat on the tube a few weeks ago, and, and it wasn't just me in the carriage doing that, there was a, a couple of lads sat opposite me. Um, and they were having the loudest conversation. Um kind of, you know, older teenage guys. And they were bantering with each other and being generally very funny. And the ca- people in the carriage were just laughing. It was absolutely hilarious. And, and they didn't really care. I think actually they realized and played up to it a bit more. But uh, it, was, um, it was brilliant. And I think when we read this psalm, we are actually kind of listening in on a, a really personal conversation between David and God. Um, in this psalm, we don't hear anything from God at all. It's just David talking to his heavenly father. It's an intimate poem, if you like, an expression of awe and wonder, uh, God's incredible knowledge about us. And the theme of the psalm appears in the first verse. Lord, you know me and you've searched me. There's nothing hidden from, uh, nothing about me that's hidden from you, Lord. And David's grateful for God's care and involvement, his intimate uh, kind of notice of everything in his life. But it's also a painfully honest expression of anger. The bit at the end of the psalm, which, when you come to it, feels a bit discordant. A bit like, why is that there? And if you're like me, and you read the first bit and then jump to that last prayer at the end. And just avoid the uncomfortable bit in the middle. But I think it's a really important part of the psalm. A psalm is a humble recognition of our own frailty. Of how we're dependent on our Heavenly Father. It splits into four sections, it's really easy to follow. The first section, uh, it's all about how God knows us, verse 1 to 6. Lord, you've examined my heart and you know everything about me. The second section is about how God is always with us. Where can I go from your spirit? The third section describes the intimate way, the, the kind of complicated way that God has created us. How God made us. And the final section looks at how God tests us. So let's dive into the psalm, and I want to see how that might apply to us today. God, you've searched me, and you know me. You know, God knows everything about us. You know my every thought when I'm far away, when I sit down or stand up, my daily activity. You see me, you watch me. I'm not sure if that bothers us, or if that blesses us. It probably kind of depends on what we're thinking about, or what we're doing. But all of it is laid bare before God. And when David writes here that you know everything about me, when that, that verb to know is used in the Bible, it's, it carries a feeling of real intimacy. Adam knew Eve, it says in the King James Version, and they conceived a child. There's that closeness, that vulnerability, kind of a nakedness before God. But in that place of vulnerability, we are protected and blessed. Verse 5, David says this, you both precede me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. In David's case, and it's, it's said that David wrote this psalm, um, we have David, the courageous leader. You know, David and Goliath. David, who wins the battles. David, a man after God's own heart. And then we have David, the adulterer. David, the murderer. David, the absent father. God knew everything about David. Nothing was hidden from his sight. And yet David had confidence that God had not rejected him, even with this side of his life. In fact, so much he would place his hand of blessing on his head. The God of the Old Testament is a God of grace and of blessing, not a God of vengeance and of anger, of forgiveness, of second chances, of mercy. God is with us. David, knowing this, knowing that God knows everything about him, he knows that he's tried to run away from God at low moments of his life. I can never escape from your spirit. And maybe in his mind he's saying, even though I've tried really hard. Why is it that we run away from God? Why is it we leave? Well, it's because of shame. We feel that God would reject us. And in this psalm, David says, no, God never turns us away when we turn to him. We can never escape the presence of God. There is no such thing as a God-forsaken place or a God-forsaken person. But when we sin or we we make mistakes, it's often our first reaction, isn't it? To run away and to hide. As if that will keep us from God's, God's gaze. Adam and Eve in the garden, they hid away, covered themselves. As if God couldn't see them. There's almost something slightly comic about that, really, in that story in Genesis. But actually, the reality for us is that we might feel wracked with guilt and shame because of the things that we've done, and we can't believe that God could or would forgive us and accept us again. So we leave. David says this, I could ask the darkness to hide me. The deepest place, I get away where I can. I'll I'll cover myself so that you can't see me, God. But it's like the light to him. There is nowhere we can go from his presence. Nowhere we can hide from him. And you know, the thing is, is that when God comes after us, as we see time and time again in the scriptures, the stories of Jonah, of people who've run from God, and God chases after them. It's not to come and and condemn and judge. It's to save and heal and forgive. There's always a second chance with God. There is always an opportunity for forgiveness. It's available at any time. And when we find ourselves running, the best thing we can do is stop and turn and allow him to catch us. God is with us. There is nowhere we can go from him. God made us in his image. I wonder why God would be so committed that he would never let us get from his presence. Why would, in Jesus' story, uh, the the farmer, the, the shepherd, leave the 99 sheep and go after the one? Why would he, the woman look for the one lost coin when she's already got nine? I think it's because we have infinite value to him. He made us to live in this good, close, intimate relationship. Paul tells us that we're a masterpiece. We're God's masterpiece. That he spent time creating. It's almost a picture of a watchmaker in the, in the, in the, in the, qu- the dark room with a little light on. Just the tiny cogs, the, the dials and devices that need to be in place. God takes such care over us. And God knows our present condition. Because he knows our past creation. Because he was the one who worked in making us. Um, I don't know if this picture looks familiar to anyone. This is a masterpiece. I don't know if you've seen this before. Um, I'm sure some of you have things like this on your fridge. This is where mine ca- this came from. It's not mine. I couldn't do anything that good. Um, this is from my, uh, one of my godchildren, Hannah. She's two. And on here is written not by Hannah, I am thankful for Chris and Nell. Exactly, that's how I feel. <laughs> that's why it's still on my fridge a long time later. It's an absolute masterpiece. I think it probably cost Hannah about 50p. In fact, it probably cost her mother 50p. With these lovely asymmetrical shapes and creative bits of pen. It's not worth a thing, is it, really? If you can, in those terms... But what kind of a fool would put a price on something like this? If we add up the chemicals in our body, if we work out how much we're worth when it comes to minerals uh, and whatever it might be, what kind of a fool thinks of value in those terms? Do you think God, for a second, puts a price on your head? Do you think that God puts a value on your life in no way? God has this stuck to his fridge if I can take that analogy far too far. I am thankful for Kristen now. Moves my heart more than most things in the world. We have these stuck on there because they're priceless. And we are priceless in God's sight because God has made us. God has created us. When we sit down and say simply, God, I am thankful for you. God puts that on his fridge because it's from us. And he loves us because he made us, because he knows us. This psalm absolutely flies in the face of any idea that God might be distant or far from us. God is not distant, he is near, nearer than we can ever imagine. And finally, we come on to the, the last bit of the psalm, this tricky passage. It begins with this Oh God, if only you would destroy the wicked. Verse 21. Oh Lord, shouldn't I hate those who hate you? Verse 22, I hate them with complete hatred. That is strong stuff from David. Again, it doesn't feel sometimes like it fits with this intimate, God, you've made me, you know me, you love me, you're with me, but I hate them. It seems like someone's got that composition wrong. But I think in the midst of this intimate poem, This kind of outburst of raw honesty and humility is an absolutely legitimate part of of David's relationship with God. This cry of anguish and frustration at how evil prospers. Those who show their hatred for God by their treatment of people. This honest outpouring of emotion. At no point is this emotion judged to be right or wrong. There's no moral judgment made about it. And here's why. Because it's real. Because that's exactly how he feels. Remember, we are eardropping, if you like, on this intimate conversation. When we've experienced heartache, bereavement or disappointment, this psalm, amongst so many others, gives us full permission to vent our feelings to God. Any intimate relationship has to be warts and all. People see us, God sees us, who we really are. And if we try to hide, we can't connect. After this outburst comes the humility of this prayer. Point out anything in me that offends you. I wonder if after that outburst, maybe David said, Lord, if that offends you, change me. He doesn't hold back. He's just willing for God to change him. So in this, this beautiful psalm of intimacy, knowing that God knows us, what on earth will that mean for us tomorrow morning? How's that going to make a difference in our lives? I, I want to draw out just a couple of things, and I could draw out so many more. The first is this. In verse 17, David said, How precious to me are your thoughts about me. God thinking about us. David says they're numerous, like the sands on the seashore. Because God thinks about us all the time. He's near to us. He's with us. There's nothing we can do to drive him away. David said he tried and he failed. He couldn't get away. He couldn't cover himself. Because God's thoughts about us are thoughts of mercy, of love, of grace, of wonder. It's like he's reminded day after day of the masterpiece that we are. He's reminded day after day that he made us in the inner place. That none of us are an accident. None of us are are a a mistake. None of us are a failure in his sight because he loves us. And he, he nurtures us and holds us close to himself. And we're sometimes so gripped by fear that we'll be rejected. That's why we hide. We're terrified that if we go wrong, that God's going to abandon us. And that's why we run away before he gets the chance to do it. Friends, how we get that wrong. How God longs for us to return to him. We can know true security in our father's arms that we never need be afraid again. We matter to him more than we can know. We are God's masterpiece, Paul says. Created for a purpose, to do good works. And because of that, God chooses to use us in his purposes. So we can turn around where we can't get anywhere from God's spirit. So what does that mean? It means that everywhere we go, God is present. Not only is God present, but he's within us. We take the presence of God to others. Let's come back to the tube again. You're sat in a tube carriage tomorrow morning. Uh, If you're like me, you're reading your book. But maybe we lift up our eyes, because no one else lifts up their eyes on the tube, do that. Everyone's looking down, or squashed in, or whatever it might be. But imagine we lift our eyes, and we look people in the face. If we catch someone's eyes, smile at them. It'll freak them out. But do it anyway, because it's a good thing to do. Smile at everyone, and pray for those you're stood with. Pray God's blessing on them. You carry the presence of Jesus with you. Nothing is impossible. Pray for them. Pray their day at work would be blessed. Pray their relationships would be blessed. Pray their health would be blessed. Pray, pray blessing. Speak blessing over them. You never know who God might lead you into conversation with. You get to work and you know you've got that tricky meeting and you think, I have no nothing to bring to this. I'm worried about what the consequences will be for me. Well, you have the presence of God with you. You carry the presence of God with you. And the presence of God is in the room. Do you know what I'd pray? God, I pray everyone in this room would know your presence, because his presence is there. I pray everyone would know it. I pray we'd know the peace that comes from your presence. I pray that conflict would be distilled. I pray we'd have wisdom to get to the nub of the matter. I wonder how board meetings would go this week. I wonder how court cases would go this week if we continue to pray. If we prayed for opportunities to bring the blessing of God to others. And finally, I want to come back to that difficult part of the passage. I think it would, be, it would be difficult not to to kind of pretend it isn't there. I want to talk about how important it is to be real and honest with God. Um, a few years ago, we went through a particularly challenging season in life. Um, the wettest summer on record since 2007. Um, in 2007, our house flooded, along with many others in Tewkesbury. We lost possessions and had to move out for six months um, into a small rented place, um, but not long after that happened, we found out that Nell was pregnant, and we were rejoicing with the news. And Nell lost the baby. Just as the floods had been a real challenge, and we'd had to face moving out and the kind of distraction that was, the miscarriage knocked us for six. And how do you pray in that kind of time? Well, here's what I did. I, I had a dog called. We had a dog called Jack. Um, he was an interesting dog. but well, that's another sermon for another day. Um, we, I would walk him in the morning, and I would take him as far away from any residential properties um, as I could so that I could increase my volume. Sometimes I would cry as I walked and talked with God. Other times I would let rip. I would tell him what I thought, sometimes of him, and how I was feeling. Through this... This worship and prayer, and I think it's worship. David is worshipping. The psalmist who cries out for justice is worshipping. Through this, I had to learn how to worship him in the midst of pain. Even if that worship and that prayer was mixed, I wouldn't say tinged, it was mixed with anger, disappointment, grief and frustration, nothing was going to disconnect me from God. Because at least I was going to tell him how I was feeling. You know, this psalm and the psalms in particular give us full permission to vent our frustration, anger and hurt. If only you, God, would slay the wicked is not a prayer of a man with a stiff upper lip. When we experience tragedy and heartache, we have to find a way to convey that to God. When we've been betrayed and let down, we must be vulnerable to God about it. Sometimes things are not fine and we need to be utterly honest, open and vulnerable with God. It may well be messy... But hey, it's essential. Finally, David's prayer. Lord, search me and know me. The prayer of humility. After being broken. If we're to be fully alive in God, we must bring our failings into the light and allow God to heal us. It takes courage to confess our need, but we do really need him. This morning... Why don't we bring our brokenness to God because he knows us? Why don't we bring our fears and failings to the foot of the cross and find mercy, grace, forgiveness and strength? Why don't we step towards God in honest humility to tell him just how we are? We will find his arms open wide to receive us, a father welcoming his children home.